Well, well, here's a question that's really relevant to me, and I think it'll be relevant to you also. Um, the question towards my spouse, Beth, is this. What helps me love Beth? Like, how can I show and express love? Well, there's a lot of different ways, but one of the ways is this, is to find out what she does not want me to do. Right? That's pretty logical, pretty smart. I mean, the classic example is the toilet seat, right? Put the toilet seat down. So you should not keep that toilet seat up. And, and when I obey that, marriage is happier. Um, for us, this is kind of a particular thing. She doesn't like me eating crunchy things around her, like chips and carrots, which I happen to have eaten more chips in my life than carrots. But uh, evidently, I have, a, I have a really intense chomp. And so she just like, I love you, but when I'm eating food around her, she just kind of winces and walks away. So, hey, we've made this thing work for 20 years now, guys. So um, there's hope. Um, she does not like me to embellish stories that misrepresent her. That's been a problem in my preaching ministry over the years. Uh, no one would like this. Uh, she, she doesn't like me to mock her publicly, like to use a voice and mock her. And so these are all things, and the list could go on. But as I'm in relationship with her, I find out, that I find out the things she does not want me to do. And when I adhere to those, uh, life is better. I mean, this is, I'm not really talking about this, all of the old stereotypes of happy wife, happy life, all that. I'm talking about any relationship. So with your boss, um, with your roommate, with a companion, with whoever you're in relationship with, like if you find out what they don't want you to do, that helps evoke the love that, that needs to be there. Well, in this season of Lent that Pastor Deborah so uh, eloquently described, I thought it would be great for us to take a look again at the Ten Commandments. Um, because Lent is a season of self-examination. We're making space for God. We're consecrating ourselves to the Lord. And so we'll start off looking at the Ten Commandments and we'll get about halfway through. Uh, and then Easter will be here and then we'll take a break. And then after the Easter season, we'll re-engage probably in uh, mid-May or so and finish up the Ten Commandments. So that's kind of the plan. So here's really what the Ten Commandments are for us as New Covenant people, as New Testament people, as people who have understood Jesus and the cross. They're really ten opportunities. Ten opportunities for us to let the life of Jesus, and I'm planning on each week I preach on the Ten Commandments, I'm planning on reminding you of this important kind of theme. Um, the Ten Commandments, if you, through Jesus, and you can put this up so they can read it with me. Through Jesus, you don't have to read it out loud, I'm sorry. Through Jesus, the Ten Commandments become ten opportunities to do two things, to love God and to love people. And, and I want us to shift our view of the Ten Commandments as not just what we're trying to avoid, but what we're trying to produce. We're trying to produce the life of God through us and, and this relationship he has with his people. He, he gives us his law. He gives us these commandments and, and they're meant for our good, and they're meant for us to thrive in him and to step forward into the things that he has for us. 
the, the religious leaders were, were trying to trick Jesus. They did that all the time. And by the way, I, I was thinking about this. I'm nothing, you know, I don't want to equate myself with Jesus at all. Um, I want to be like him, but I'm, I'm not on his level. You're with me with that. But, but I've noticed too that like in preaching, preaching is, is interesting because I have suspicious listeners out there. I mean, I can just feel it. They're like, who is this guy? I'm going to catch him. I just want you to know that I do make errors when I preach. Um, and, and so we'll work through those. But I, I think sometimes people just want to, like, I want to listen and I want to catch him. I want to get him. And I can just feel that angst sometimes. So, so you guys just like relax and let's let the word of the Lord speak. But I thought about this because Jesus was the Messiah, and so this was really happening. He was shaking up everything, and so like the, the religious leaders were always trying to trick him. They were always trying to have gotcha questions, and what was great is these kind of gotcha questions ended up producing the greatest revelations we've ever received, and so really, they tried to get Jesus, but he got humanity by answering these trick questions, and this was occurring in, in Matthew Chapter 22, starting with verse 35, we'll just kind of insert ourselves into the story. It says, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test, to test him. He said, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Well, let me talk to you just a little bit about the law here for a second before we continue the, the story. The law is essentially the Ten Commandments and the rest of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which is a summary of the law, is expanding on the Ten Commandments. And so I know it's not that simplistic to say that the law is just the Ten Commandments, but it is in the sense that, you know, if, if God says, here are the commandments, now I'm going to explain how this fleshes out in the community. I mean, it's not much different than, than the way the way our government works, I mean, it is different because God's in charge and not frail human beings. But in the sense of we have laws and then we interpret the laws. And this is what was happening all through Levitical law and even beyond that through the Pharisees and Sadducees in the days of Jesus. So it was rules about the rules and then interpretations of the rules about the rules. Are you with me? It was a lot. So Jesus just like summarized it. This is great. Through this trick question, Jesus just brings it home. And this is where he brings it home right here in the scripture. Um, he says in Verse 37, he said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, so all of the Ten Commandments and, and the addendums to the Ten Commandments, all through the Old Testament, all through the first five books of the Old Testament, we would say, depend on these two commandments. So we see right away that through Jesus, we learn that the Ten Commandments is this opportunity to love God more and to love people more. And that's why we need to continue to meditate on the Ten Commandments. And I've used the Ten Commandments a lot of different ways. I've used it as a prayer guide in my life. I've used it as a confessional guide in my life. Um, and I've used it as just an opportunity to say no to stuff I wanted to do. I mean, at its very basic level, it's, it's very, very valuable for that. Beyond that, it, it's, it's a way to create that dependency. Like, we need God. And we don't know we need God unless we know um, where our shortcomings are. And so it is with the Ten Commandments. Now, 
you'll notice a few things about this idea of loving God and loving people. The first four commandments are about our relationship with God. The last six commandments are about our relationship with the community. And because we love God, and that is identified clearly through the first four commandments, the last six commandments tell us how we can love people and we can reflect God's character and who he is. And that's really what happens. The Ten Commandments is not an angry God trying to control us. The Ten Commandments is a way that God has revealed who he is to us. And we find out that God has a personality. And I want you to think about that. We've been conditioned to think God is just this force. Like, he's just like this force out there. Like, like it's kind of like this, um, this power that is ambiguous. And there's a lot of cultural factors that have made us think that way. I won't get into those now, or I'll chase one of my bunny trails here. But you, you can make those connections. But God has a very distinct personality. Like, like you can describe God, and there, there's things about God that reveal his personality, personality, and we who are made in his image understand the, the concept of a personality, of personhood, of, of intelligence, of, of emotion. These are all things that are in God. God is intelligent. He's emotive. He's responsive. And so the Ten Commandments begin to reveal God to us. We, we get to know his personality. And we find out that God is the kind of person who refrains from stealing and refrains from adultery and re refrains from murder. He's not trying to control us. He's trying to let his characteristics be emulated within us as his greatest creation. Yahweh is his name. The Lord is a personality, our person, our entity. Um, he's, he's a substantive, substantial, someone we can know, and, and he, he values human beings, and he believes humans are important. And because human beings and individuals are important, so he calls us to relate to people in a particular way. And so it is. That now, because of Jesus, we're in this friendship with God that's not revolved around rules. And, and now this is the part here, as I said earlier, like, guys, I just want to give this disclaimer so no one misunderstands me because people love to misunderstand me. The Ten Commandments we should follow. So we should obey the Ten Commandments. Everybody with me on that? All right, so that's my disclaimer. So, but... New Testament Christianity lets us know that our relationship with God is not defined by following rules. Our relationship with God is defined by connectivity, relationship, friendship with God. So Romans chapter 6, let's start there. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 14. Not all of these references are in the, um, in the review or in uh, the computer. I missed my publishing deadline this week, so just... The Holy Spirit moves beyond the deadlines that have been given to me by our business manager, our office manager. Okay, starting with verse 12 of Romans chapter 16. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. This is this idea of, of denial, of crucifying the flesh, of basically doing things that we don't want to do. So let's just be honest about this. This is God's word here, so that you you obey its desires. Don't obey its desires. So sin is still desirable. You know, I was, 
I was walking around uh, the Cracker Barrel lobby the other day, which is, well, anyway, let me just move on. And, and uh, <laughs> waiting for a seat. And they have all this stuff that they want you to buy. You know, it would be great if I just had a basket and I can just take what I wanted without buying it. I mean, that's not a desire I really explored, but it's somewhere deep into my heart that is like, yeah, I like free stuff. I like stuff that didn't cost me, but I'm not gonna obey that desire um, because I'm putting to death my sin. It says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desire. Now going on to verse 13, going on to verse 13. And don't offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. And here's a key verse, verse 14. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. So grace is not an excuse for us to ignore the Ten Commandments. Grace is the freedom for us to live proactively uh, the reflection of the Ten Commandments. So, so let's talk about uh, the sports world. I try to avoid sports illustrations, but they're just there. Um, you hear commentators always say about the teams that are playing, you may see a team that's trying to protect the lead, and, and the commentators will say this, they're playing not to lose. Well, what does that mean? They're playing up tight. They're, they're concerned with not making mistakes. They're trying to avoid something bad. And, and, and they're usually, the, the, it's a criticism that they're playing not to lose. They're not playing free. They're not playing um, proactively. They're not playing, playing aggressively. They're uptight. They're trying not to make a mistake. And, and before Jesus, I think that's where we were in our relationship with the Ten Commandments. It's like, oh no, I make one mistake. I'm jealous today and I, I'm, I'm coveting uh, my neighbor's uh, cow. Is that, the scripture says that. The animal. Oh no, I, I'm not part of God's people anymore. And so I want to avoid, avoid, avoid. And so it produced even more sin in us. But when you're free and you know that you're going to win the game and you know that you have the advantages and you know that, that you're able to succeed, uh, then you're confident and, and you're not scared of a mistake. And then I think what's most important for our spiritual life is you're resilient. I mean, I just, it's so frustrating to, to see how people give up the faith because of a mistake they made. Guys, no matter what mistake you've made, no matter how many times you've broken these 10 commandments, it's a new day. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. And so it's time to move forward. And we have resilience in the Lord that Jesus, had, we're not under the law, we're under grace. Because we're under grace, we're gonna put sin to death. But when we do stumble, we do stumble and we do trip up. We don't stay down. Because of his righteousness, we rise up again. We're resurrection people. Like resurrection's like in us. It's in us to move forward. And so this is like part of being on the winning team. It's like we are not intimidated by the Ten Commandments because we're free from the curse of the law and we're under grace. And so now we reflect on them as opportunities to move forward and be God's people. See, all of a sudden now, now it's exciting now it's not something we try to avoid. We don't try to hide the Ten Commandments. We don't try to evade the Ten Commandments because they're opportunities for the life of the Lord to come through us. 
Romans chapter 8, the whole book is about this. Um, back, way back in 2006, I did a whole year in the book of Romans. No one's around anymore from those days, or a few of you guys are, but it, 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 I call the series, God Did It. That's what Romans is about. God initiated salvation, gave us salvation, sustains us in salvation. And here in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it says, The law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law or the Ten Commandments could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that, here's a, here's a really important sentence, the just requirement, so the good requirements are the justice requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. That's why we sing Jesus paid it all. I mean, that's not just a nice phrase. Jesus did it. He satisfied the curse of the law, our inability to keep the 10 commandments perfectly. He satisfied the injustice of that, that we can't do it. And now we're free to live as he wants us to. So this is it. We have the Ten Commandments because we have a need for him. That's what the Ten Commandments do. It tells us we have a need for him. His commands are no, are no longer a law. They're an opportunity. They're no longer a test. They're a target. They're no longer a disqualifier, but they're a result of his life. So I'm not concerned with adherence to the Ten Commandments because I'm trying to be a believer. I, I adhere to the Ten Commandments because I already am a believer. It's the, it's the outcome of the life of Jesus within me, all right? Okay, that was a long introduction. I'll make the three points fast today. So let's make this simple. Exodus 20, starting with verse one, I read it to you earlier. It says this, when God spoke all these words, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. So those words capitalized, L-O-R-D, capitalized is his name, his unspeakable name, uh, really, to the Jewish people. I am Yahweh, the specific God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have any other gods before me. And so the first thing I, I want to bring up to you today is we have a God who speaks. <laughs> we have a God who speaks. This is awesome. And Pastor Aubrey, you know, he didn't look over my notes, but when he was just saying uh, in worship and ministering to us and just saying, hey, we got a God who's not distant. We have a God who's active. I'm like, yes, this is, this is the love of the Ten Commandments. Uh, the God who intervenes into the mess that we make. He intervenes into our mistakes and our our selfishness that wants to hurt others and says, don't do that. Uh, the parts of us that are unhealthy, unhealthily curious and we want to explore other gods. He says, no, there's just one God and, and I have a real personality and I have a real name and I'm not to be shared with anyone else. I, I am set apart. I am different. And I love it that we have a God who speaks and a God who is not silent. Because words reveal personalities. And words reveal preferences. And you get to know people through conversation. Uh, and, and these days, it's not only spoken conversation, but type conversation. 
So even through text and through corresponding, through, through like email and social media, you get to know people through words. And these words reveal preferences. And so we've, we've been able to know this personality of God through the words that have been revealed to us. I was thinking of dad phrases. Are you, are you ready for some of these? These are now famous dad phrases. I love this one. Get off my lawn, right? You've heard that a lot now. Now see if you can complete this sentence for me. I brought you into this world. I will take you. Yeah, so that's a dad phrase, right? Um, my favorite dad, dad phrase is this. Who's your daddy? I mean, right? So, so, so dads communicate stuff and and. In Exodus, in verse, verse two of Exodus 20, he says, I'm the Lord your God, and I wanna remind you who I am, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. I am the Lord your God. Now, let me just remind you who I am. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. I brought you out of Egypt, and I delivered you, uh, and, and let me remind you who I am. Write down number two, the God who delivers God is establishing his credentials. He's reminding the people of who he is by reminding them of what he has done for them. It's as if one of our dads were saying, hey, remember I bought your first car and I paid for part of your college tuition. And maybe a dad or a mother figure in our life would say, hey, who replaced your washing machine on the day it broke? Your, your dad, maybe your mom. That's who I am to you. And God is saying, listen, you people who are curious about these gods of the wilderness and these gods in Canaan, and well, I never heard of this God, and I'm interested in this, this aspect of the culture and I'm interested in the spirituality of this and he says remember who I am I'm I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt I'm the God who brought you out of slavery I'm the God who did this for you and I'm giving you my credentials to remind you of our relationship the name Yahweh is a very personal name at first it first emerged through Moses when Moses asked this very distinct God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, you know, who should I tell Pharaoh who you are? I mean, give me a name. Give me something impressive. Give me a characteristic. Give me, like, like what are you, I'm not saying Moses asked this, but this would be implied through many people. Are you the God of the sun? Are you the God of the sea? You're the God of the mountains? This was the way people's minds were created. And God said, no, I am who I say that I am. I am set apart. I am different. And this sense of the oneness of God, this is something that I never thought would be challenged among Christians in America, but it's a great challenge to your soul today. Like you don't realize this, but God is warning you today through this message because this idea of, of wanting to follow familiar spirits that, that feel peaceful, that feel good, other religions that you can see the wisdom in them, you know, other types of 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 curiosity, of thought that, that inspire your soul. You know, all of this, you guys know that I'm a learner, I'm a reader, so, you know, I'm not saying don't be curious about the world. I'm saying that 
that curiosity goes to the filter that there is one God with one name revealing himself in one way, and that is a safety measure from keeping you from abandoning the fold of God and the remnant of God. So this is important. This is an important because uh, mankind has always been into polytheism and they're, they're, uh, this idea of multiple gods. And I think about India, a country that I love. I, I had the opportunity to go there in 2014 and India is emerging as a force and there are many, many Christians there and there are many, many Muslims there but there are also, the predominant religion there is Hinduism and all Hinduism is is the worship of many gods. And we'll get into that next week when we talk about the worship of idols. But there's something, there's something that appeals to our soul that says, like, Yahweh's not enough. And, and, and I, I say that with, with, with great concern for myself and for you. May there, there be one God and may he be all satisfying to us. And so that we can see his work in our life. And so we don't have to chase after other ideals. And we don't have to chase after other, other things because our soul is so insecure. Because instead, our soul has found rest in God and rest in who he is. There, there was once a merchant who would travel all over the world. in all of the markets and all of the, the places where pearls were exchanged and he he would evaluate the beauty and the value of a pearl he was an expert but one day he saw a pearl like no other it was a pearl of incomparable beauty a value that cannot be measured and this expert merchant saw the uniqueness of this pearl and he said, I am going to give everything I own for this one pearl. There is nothing like it. There is no comparison to it. It is beautiful beyond words. And even though, even though that I've seen many, many pearls, I'll give everything for this one. See, Jesus gave that parable. Matthew chapter 13, when he talked about this kingdom of heaven that we've been invited to. In verse 45, he says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. It's one of my favorite parables that Jesus gave. And I think about as God's people, like we, we don't realize how special he's made us. We're a set apart people. We're a chosen people. We're part of the remnant. We've heard the plan. We've heard the story. We've received the grace. And, and I just think that God wants to remind us through this reflection on the Ten Commandments that we have an opportunity to make Jesus and God the treasure of our hearts that he's worth everything we have. He's worth giving up everything. He's not just something, he's not a force we dabble with. He's a personality that's incomparable. And so we have the opportunity to give our all to him. And that's my third point today. God is incomparable. 
And that because of God's incomparable standards, that verbal words cannot describe how great he is. Like I, I, I could have prepared for weeks for this sermon and I would not have the appropriate words to describe how great our God is, how lofty our Jesus is, how much more beautiful he is than anything of this world, this world that he created. So anything beautiful you see in this world is just a reflection of him. But a reflection is not the same as the reality. He is incredible. In verse three, he said this, do not have other gods besides, besides me. Don't have other gods besides me. Let me be it. Let me be it. Here God forbids loyalty, a relationship with any deity besides Yahweh. God's character, which is glorious, demands loyalty. And we, we are people who are loyal to one God who's revealed himself to humanity and he's revealed himself to us. So let's pray about that. God, we put you first. Oh, what a good reminder this was. The Ten Commandments are so good for us, Lord. Oh, God, we don't want to have any other God besides you. And, and can you hear the, the love of the Father? Like, he wants your loyalty. He wants your heart. He wants your affection. He doesn't want to share you with another God. He doesn't want to share you with another force. He wants your whole heart. He wants everything that you have. And it's an opportunity for us as we move into this season of consecration. Say, you and you alone, God, you deserve the glory. You deserve the honor. You deserve our attention. You deserve our best efforts, Lord. You deserve, God, our full loyalty. You know, we don't talk about that word loyalty enough as it relates to God. You know, we're loyal to a lot of earthly entities. But are you loyal to God? Just a reminder today that, yes, God has given you grace that is unshakable as he's put your name in the book of life and it can't be blotted out because of his choice and his providence. But now we mirror back that loyalty, that, Lord, we want to be among those who no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, no matter the social isolation, no matter how uncool some of our family members think, if some of you are bowing to the idol of your family, you're afraid to stand up for the word of God and you're afraid to stand up for the name of God because you want to be socially accepted from your people. I'm not calling you to be, um, to be disruptive just for the sake of being disruptive, but I am saying don't bow to an idol just for, uh, just for earthly accolades or just for the acceptance of, of your, uh, your, your kids, your adult kids, or for the acceptance of your parents or, or just so your cousins don't think you're strange. I just, there's one God, his name is Yahweh and his affections will not be shared with any other because there is no one that compares to him. So let's stand together. We put you first right now. 
I didn't even tell you the title of this message, but the, the title of this message is Put God First. Father, we put you first right now. Would you just begin to set your heart and set your will that there is no other but Jesus. There is no God but Yahweh. There is no one. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he is the God of Bill and the God of Sarah and the God of Megan. He is the God of of. Corby. He's a God of any name you can think of. He's a God who's chosen you. He's initiated salvation. He's given it to you. And he has been loyal to you. And now we reflect loyalty back to him because he is God alone. He is God alone. And we're not trying to uh, be loyal to him because we're trying to earn salvation. We're being loyal to him because there's no one like him. He is the great pearl. The kingdom is like none other. It's incomparable. It's more valuable than we could have ever imagined. Its beauty is greater than we can see and it's, it's worth giving our very lives to. So Father, we do that today. We push aside, God, kind of this lukewarm Christianity. Lord, this halfway in kind of approach to the scripture. Lord, we push aside, Lord, our apathetic uh, kind of thinking about the ways of the Lord and we just say, you are God alone. There is no other. You deserve every single thing that we can give you. And we release it to you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We just thank you. Would you just begin to just tell God he's first in your life. Come on, just begin to tell God he's first. I want some of you who, are, who feel comfortable talking out loud, just begin to tell God, God, there's no one like you. Lord, you are incomparable. Lord, you are first in my life. Lord, you are, are one who shines above the rest. You are God that's higher. Lord, I give you all of me. I give you everything everything that I am, Lord, and I just give my heart to you, and we thank you for that, Father.